are living your story right now in this moment. You know, no two stories are alike. We are all unique. We all have a different lens through which we see the world. We all have something to contribute, to share, to be. That uniqueness takes courage. It's not easy to stand in your truth. It's not easy to let yourself be vulnerable, to be really seen, to be really heard. So many of us hide. So many of us stay hidden. So many of us make the choice to step forward, to own who we are, to own our stories, to share our voice. The tide is turning. We're moving into a space of deeper vulnerability, courage, authenticity, and love. We're moving closer to greater self-love, self-acceptance, honesty, and empowerment. To get there, to get to that space, means we have to authentically share who we are. It means we have to authentically show up as our true selves. The magic is in sharing who you are. The magic is in sharing your story. That's where this series comes in. Own your voice. Love yourself. Stay true to your story. Dive deep into your vulnerability. Shine in your authenticity. Once you do, there's no stopping you. Stay honest. Stay brave. Stay true to who you are. Welcome to Seek the Joy Podcast, the power of storytelling. Hello, my name is Shana Norwood and my business is Steel Petal Press. We are a greeting card company and we have a retail shop in Logan Square, Chicago. I started Steel Pedal Press as a side business when I was in grad school, getting my MFA for book and paper art. I just started letterpress printing cards and selling them to shops around the city. Um, it started off really slow, and um, as I continued to work on it, it grew from there. I started doing wedding invitations and custom designs first, and then um, moved more into wholesale greeting cards. Now what we do is about 50% wholesale greeting cards, stickers, home goods, um, notepads, and then uh, 50% of our business is through our retail location in Chicago. I started my business just because I wanted a, to do some personal work. Uh, I was uh, in grad school, I just moved to Chicago from San Francisco, and I wanted to um, make cards to send to my friends uh, around the country. Uh, specifically, every year I was making cookies around Christmas and the holidays time, and I wanted something to send with that. So yeah, so that's how I started. Anxiety is something that I have struggled with my whole life. I had a a breakdown when I was first in college when I was 20 years old. And um, it's kind of been something that has been in and out of my life ever since then. More recently, I had an issue, had issues while also running my business, which made it more difficult for me to step away. Um, all the other times where I had had issues that I wasn't able to deal with in real life. I would take time off of school or I would move or there was one time I was even put in a hospital um, just because I 
was feeling overwhelmed and I needed a break from everything. So more recently, 2016, I was dealing with a lot of stress from the election. It was also my first year opening a retail shop. Um, it was our first going into the first holiday season and a woman who was working for me at the time, who was pretty much my, you know, right hand lady, um, got really sick and ended up in a coma. And this all kind of happened at the same time. So there's a lot of things and a lot of stressors. And I had to basically power through and white knuckle it and get to the end of the year. And at that point, um, I realized that I was still having anxiety attacks and I'm just crying hysterically and having trouble going into work. And there wasn't really any way for me to step away from it like I had in the past. So I finally made an appointment with a doctor and I got put on the right medication. Um, and that was a total life changer for me. So it's something that I really feel like has been a long journey and something I'm super empathetic towards and something that people don't really talk about as much. Fast forward to today, that was, you know, three or four years ago, I was really wanting to speak more publicly about my struggles with anxiety. I just feel like the more people talk about it and share their stories, the easier it is to feel like you're not alone um, in your struggle. And there is so much stigma around it and so much shame that it can be really easy to get trapped inside your own head of blaming yourself and feeling bad and then isolating yourself and it just can go down. So having finally gotten to a place where I feel really stable and clear about what my past journey was, um, I was something that I wanted to spend some time talking about more publicly. Um, and I wanted to use Steel Pedal Press as a platform for that. So um, I kind of was brainstorming what I wanted to do. I definitely knew I wanted to make a product um, that would allow me to tell my story, but I didn't want it to just be you know, a positive phrase or, you know, even like a card that you can exchange because sometimes that's not as useful in the moments um, that you're feeling really down. So I wanted to create something that would be useful, but then also be on brand with what Steel Pedal Press does. So a few months ago, I started making these mental health trackers. Um, they're basically different notepads that kind of help, you know, help with prompts to write down what you're feeling, um, you know, how your day was, if there was something you struggled with, if there was a win, um, something you felt good about, and then something that you're thankful for. And the idea is that, you know, when you write something down, A, it helps get you out of your head so you can see issues more clearly. And then also B, it kind of allows you to be more rational about, you know, whatever emotions are swirling around in your head. So it's something that could be useful, but then is also a paper product and is also something that, you know, I really wanted to get people more comfortable with talking about and sharing their own stories as well. So a few tips that I have, you know, if you're struggling with anxiety or any type of mental health issues, the first one I would say is find someone that you know will not judge you, that you can trust. And if you're feeling really, really bad, call them and just, you know, let someone know that you're in a place like that. That to me has always been the first step in feeling better is being able to 
get out of my head and let someone know and just help me feel less alone in whatever I'm struggling with at the time. Um, and then another thing is I just kind of have some go-to things that I try to do. Um, sometimes it's just curling up in bed and sleeping and not feeling guilty about it. Sometimes it's watering my plants if I feel more ambitious, um, that, you know, or hanging out with my cat, um, <laughs> doing things that I know will help me feel better. And the biggest thing is just to remember that I shouldn't blame myself for whatever feelings that I have. One thing that I can say that I've definitely learned from sharing my story is how much people want and need to hear it. I don't think I've had any people say anything bad on social media. People haven't been sharing their stories as much, but people have always thanked me and said, you know, thank you for doing this. And it's, it, it is helpful, even if not everyone is able to step forward and talk about it publicly, which I understand is a really hard thing to do and no one else should be expected to share something they don't feel comfortable with. But just to know that there are people out there who do appreciate that I am being public and that it is helpful in some way, that has definitely been, been a really great feeling. My biggest dream, I would say, is uh, it changes depending on what what's going on in my life. Right now, I would like to open another retail shop. Potentially, this is business-wise. And I've also considered writing a book. However, I'm not sure how or when that would happen, but it's something that I would like to do. And then other than that, I mean, I just, you know, want to have a positive impact on um, in my life and on the people who are around me and maybe on people who I don't even know, um, just to help people feel less alone or understand that we're all connected in this way that, you know, we all have different experiences, but we also have shared experiences. So thank you so much for listening. And, um, I hope someone could identify with something I said today. If you can see your path laid out in front of you step by step, you know it's not your path. Your own path you make with every step you take, and that is why it's your path. Hi, my name is Julian Sinclair, and I recently heard this quote by Joseph Campbell. It resonates with me because it is a perfect reflection of the story I'm about to tell you of how I deviated from the path laid out before me. The path that was laid out before me was becoming a professional engineer, which I currently am by day. The path that I created on my own is that of a professional artist, which I am by night. These two are tightly linked because I'm not sure if I would have started creating my own path had I not followed the one laid out before me first. I'm not sure I would have had the confidence or the drive had I not struggled through the dark with somebody else's path they put before me. Let me start from the beginning. As we all were as kids, I was an avid artist. My mom had me in all of the art classes, and I created all the things. Then, like most of us, as I got older, I stopped creating artwork so much. I was never one of those kids that knew what I wanted to do or be when I grew up. I was just along for the ride. When I was 14, my mom moved us to Germany for her work. The only art I really did in Germany was in my art classes, and I wasn't really any good, but I was really interested and excited about the work. As high school was coming to an end, like most of us, once again, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. The only thing that seemed like an obvious choice was avoiding math and science. 
I had, after all, tested into the lowest math class in high school four years previously, and science classes did not come easily either. I did, however, excel at language, writing, and art, and so I decided to apply to art schools, but I got rejected. Looking at my portfolio, I would have rejected me too. For my first year of university, I ended up going to an American university in Madrid. There, I had my first run-in with pre-calculus, from which I ended up withdrawing because I was so freaking clueless, and I had no idea why anyone cared about solving for X. I didn't do any art in Madrid. My second year, I withdrew from the University of Madrid, Madrid, and I moved to SoCal to help take care of my dying grandpa. Once again, although I didn't know how to plan for the future, college was the obvious path. I started attending community college just to do something. I took some artsy classes and eventually realized that I may need math someday. So I started my math education all over again from scratch, and I eventually randomly chose to move to Northern California to study environmental engineering. I didn't even think to look at the course catalog, class descriptions, or even look into what engineers did. I just liked the sound of environmental engineering, and I thought the pictures of the redwoods and the ocean were really pretty. Studying engineering was fun because I made amazing friends, the location was epic, and I thrived on the challenge. But I didn't want to ruin my summers by taking on a boring internship at a local firm, so I mostly just traveled abroad like I was used to. I went back to Germany to do an internship, backpacked through Guatemala, and sailed through the Panama Canal. I had traveled so much living in Europe that I had developed a free spirit that just wanted to see the world and experience cultures. While I was studying engineering, I wisely enrolled myself into art classes and discovered that I was actually a really great painter. I loved it, and it was a great escape. I remember when sitting in the class with the other art students while the professor was talking to them about what they might be able to do with their education after they graduate. And it was so doom and gloom. They could become a gallery curator or become an artist assistant or a teacher. And maybe someday, if they were lucky, they could eventually make money off of their own art. Maybe. I remember being so happy that I was going to be employable, like my engineering professors told me I would be. Eventually, I graduated and I moved to Montana with my then boyfriend, now husband, who had got accepted into a PhD program at the local university. I landed an engineering job and was so thrilled to be making my own money like a big kid, saving a bit, and paying my own way. But this excitement was pretty short-lived. Within a month or so, I was so disappointed to realize that it wasn't for me. Sitting at a desk from 9 to 5? Working for somebody else developing land? Getting barked at by my boss? Ugh, was this really where this path had led me? I was furious because I felt that I had been led astray, lied to, and deceived. They told me I would be employable with an engineering degree, but nobody, not once, ever asked me if I would be happy. And indeed, I was not. That joyful, excited, and inspired person that I used to be had almost disappeared. Instead, I was now always obsessing about how to escape this trap that I had been led into. In my anxiety of being boxed into the standard 9 to 5 forever... I got busy with various side gigs, selling random stuff on Amazon, getting conned into a pyramid scheme, private labeling, taking part in a Kickstarter campaign. I was so desperate that I was trying all of the things to get out of my current circumstances. Deep down, I knew that I just wanted to pick my paintbrush back up, but I kept telling myself I would only have time for that once I made one of these side gigs work and escape my full-time job. I just felt stuck in one place when my soul just wanted to create art, be free, and travel the world. 
During these anxiety and confusion-filled years, I took my first swing at the professional engineering exam, the brutal eight-hour engineering exam that one must pass to get their professional license. Even though I knew deep down that I didn't want to be an engineer, I had been told by so many people to get that license no matter what. The thought of quitting engineering after putting in all this time and effort without getting that license sounded pretty terrible to me. So I studied for the recommended 300 hours and took the test. When the results came back, I failed hard. What a blow. After failing, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to retake the exam. What's the point if I didn't want to be an engineer? To answer this question, I had to wait a couple years and reground. I kept hearing about being happy no matter what your circumstances, and I just didn't get it. I was so unhappy with everything. My relationship was crumbling. I hated my job. I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself, and I was fiddling around with all these side hustle gigs that were distracting me from my end goal, which was just to create art. Eventually, though, side hustle after side hustle not only failed, but became a drag on my soul. And after a couple years of this, I realized that creating art wasn't supposed to be the destination. It actually needed to be the journey, no matter what my circumstances were. And so, one by one, I took the side hustles off my plate. Sure, I had to disappoint some partners on a few projects, but I felt lighter because I knew I was being true to myself. Sometimes our own voice and vision gets bogged down by everything and everyone around us. I found, though, that if you focus your attention on settling the chaos, clarity will emerge. And the clarity that emerged for me was the notion that if you can't be where you love, then you better love where you are. I thought maybe this was the key to the whole being happy no matter what your circumstances. I might not be able to be traveling the world like I previously had in my pretty responsible free college years, but I decided I would water the grass below my own feet and create a life that I wanted to live. So I started painting again without any intention of where my art would take me, but just do it. I started working on my relationship that has now blossomed into a beautiful and happy marriage. I got chickens, planted a garden, and started taking better care of my mind and my body. And most importantly, I accepted that I had to stick with engineering for a while. And so I stepped up and became good at my job. Essentially, I started seeking immediate joy instead of the steps that I previously had believed would get me there. After a few years of this regrounding process, I decided to retake the exam. I had to put my art back on the back burner once again to study, but the second time I studied, I didn't just go through the motions. I actually buckled down and immersed myself in the concepts. I became humbled by the material, and instead of thinking I was too good for it because it was so boring, I was curious and I was interested, and it paid off, and I passed. Woohoo! After I passed, my artwork came back to the front burner, and it exploded. With the exam behind me now and knowing I was never going to have to take it again, all of the obstacles I previously saw before me shrunk away. I thought to myself, if I can do that, I can do anything. I even was able to get in my very first unpaid and fun mural over a long weekend during my study months, which won an award for my city. After spending so much time in Germany when I was younger and being surrounded by public art, I had a feeling that mural work was in my future. I was able to use that one mural and award as a leverage to get my first commissioned piece the following year. While I was painting that mural, someone saw my work and I got commissioned for another mural, and then another, and then another. Now, although I still have my full-time engineering job, my art business is starting to have its own legs. 
I have more commissions coming in slowly but surely, and an endless fountain of inspired ideas within me. Growing my art business into a sustainable venture is my biggest dream, and I'm proud to say that I am well on my way. I remember before I could even consider my art business a business, I wondered how people do it. How do they get work? How do they advertise? And in my particular case, when I started, I didn't even have a solid body of artwork, nor really know what I wanted my thing to be or who I was as an artist. Now that I'm actually in the trenches, so to speak, of building a business, I try to see myself from the outside, from the lens of my earlier self, and come up with an organized outline of how I got from zero to something. There is no outline, though. I just followed a rule that I made for myself as a way to keep going, even though I didn't know who I was as an artist. And that rule is follow your inspiration. Back to that quote I started with that says that's your own path you make with every step you take, and that's why it's your path. I realized that the reason this rule of simply following my inspiration has been working for me is that my inspiration is my own. Absolutely nobody else on this planet can create it for me or form it into how I want it to manifest. Sure, maybe some things or people spark inspiration, but how that manifests is uniquely your own. And so, following your own inspiration with the profound trust that something unique and substantial will emerge is creating new and unwalked steps in your own path. Sharing my story has taught me that I have more wisdom within me than I give myself credit for. And I'll finish this off by sharing a couple of nuggets of wisdom with you. A few practical tips are, number one, Go to the end of the path you are on if there is a box you want to check. Sure, it may just be a checkbox, but if you think you'd regret not checking it by stepping off the path too soon, then keep going. Start preparing your other path in the meantime. Number two, no matter how much you don't want to do something in this life or don't find it interesting, there are lessons within it. Stay humble and keep an open mind. A few of the more profound ideas that came out of my story are, number one, Water the grass below your feet, and the grass will always be greener on your side. Or, if you can't be where you love, love where you are. Number two, when we want to achieve something, we anxiously want to cut out all of the in-between steps. But these in-between steps are where the growth happens and where we, where we really figure out where we're going. Number three, the thing you think is your destination may actually be your journey. And if you are making excuses of why you aren't doing yet what you wish you were doing, acknowledge your excuses for what they are. Make the time, clear your plate, say no to the things that don't bring you joy or don't align with your goals or values. Remember, a year from now, you'll wish you started today. Number four, finally, the reason following your own path is so hard is because there is no map. The map for your own path is your inspiration. Follow it by doing the work it is trying to pull out of you, and it will guide you. Thank you so much. My name is Laura Benedetto, and this is my story. I started out life being the kid that everybody picked on. Yep, that was me. I was the poor kid with weird clothes. I had freckles that literally nobody else had. And growing up an only child, I didn't really know how to talk to people under the age of 40. Outcast? Oh yeah. At 19, I found myself in an abusive relationship with someone who physically, mentally, and sexually abused me. It left a mark. By that point, I was pretty convinced the world didn't love me. And worse, I had no value. 
But deep in my heart, I knew that was a lie. I instinctively knew that misery was optional. And I, I could have a joyful life. I couldn't explain it. I didn't know how to get there. But I knew it was possible. By 19, I'd had a series of jobs, including 14 in one year, and I hated them all. I never felt like I fit in and never felt like I was paid appropriately for all that I knew I was capable of. Somehow, I knew I had value. I just didn't consciously get it. This was all unconscious, and it was why I hated all my jobs. So between the childhood bullying, the string of jobs, and the abusive partner, I was angry at the world and had a huge chip on my shoulder. So at the tender age of 19, I broke free of the abusive relationship and also started a marketing company that ended up growing exponentially and changing my life for the better and the worse. Being the youngest entrepreneur in the room for nearly a decade taught me a lot about myself and the world of commerce. I was given early and powerful lessons about communication, leadership, and money. I worked harder than I saw other people working and didn't have much of a life for quite a while, which honestly, I didn't mind. After years of abuse, the solitude was a welcome relief from the chaos, and it gave me the chance to bloom as a professional. At 23... I was given a chance to learn about real love. I met my first husband and married him eight weeks after I met him. Yeah, eight weeks. I realize that sounds crazy. That's because it was. However, it actually lasted 10 years. And while the marriage lasted three years longer than it should have, lessons endured. I learned even more about communication as well as respect and how your relationship with yourself can and will flavor your relationships with others. All was well in business and in marriage land for about a year or so. Man, I thought I was crushing life and had left all my problems behind me. Then at 25, the shine on the business and the marriage both began to fade. Problems surfaced and everything was hard. I thought I had found joy, but I had merely found things that looked like it, but weren't the real deal. My old wounds from years of abuse began to surface as nagging self-doubt in my business, which only pushed me to work harder and harder out of self-judgment and self-loathing, burning myself out and making my body literally sick. This persisted for years until I was forced to pay attention and reevaluate my career and my retirement timeline. My feelings of unworthiness that stemmed from childhood started raising hell in my marriage, when I refused to communicate with my husband out of fear of rejection, even when I was unhappy. I didn't communicate, I withheld, I suppressed my true feelings, and I lived in fear of consequences. This too persisted for years, past the point of no return. I was so frustrated because I'd read all the books. I went to all the classes, the workshops, the retreats. I meditated, I journaled, I did vision boards and everything I could to find the answers that would lead me to joy. And you know what? Things would always work for a few days, but nothing ever stuck. Still, I knew that joy was a thing and I could have it in my life. And this innate knowledge, coupled with mounting frustration, only deepened my resolve to find it. At 31, with my marriage failing, heading for divorce, and my business frustrating me to the point of madness, I felt broken and like I had utterly failed at life. Life looked great on paper, and I was really awesome at keeping up the facade. However, the truth within 
was painful. And my previous assumptions that joy could be found by checking boxes was being ripped to shreds. I had once upon a time thought that having a successful business, being married, having the house, the stuff, the toys, etc., even the vacations would do the trick. Nope, not so much. I worked hard and retired early. I ended my marriage and I began to work on building a new life. I kept feeling like I was back at square one though, even though I was smarter and substantially more motivated. As I was gearing up to retire at 37 in the summer of 2018, I was pretty sure of what I wanted to do next. By then I was remarried and feeling like maybe I'd feel the joy this time. Unfortunately, I was stressed out, literally bleeding internally. Yeah, bleeding internally, snapping at my husband and doubting myself and my new dream. I was no fun to be around and I was the furthest a person could possibly get from joy and something inside me broke, like ugly broke. I couldn't take it anymore and the facade was no longer good enough. Being a type A personality and natural born problem solver, I decided I would build myself a 90 day get out of my own way program so I could finally find joy. Listen, I'm a fixer, okay? So I had to figure out some sort of nice linear type A way to do it. This is what I did. So Alice in Wonderland, she went down the rabbit hole and let me tell you, so did I. I started digging within myself and writing and that led to research, which led to theories and testing and changes. And ultimately it actually led to a 90 day program. Through all of my research, I actually uncovered the reason why I'd never lived real joy before and why none of my books, workshops, etc., had never worked for me in any lasting way. It all came down to habit. It's great to read about, it's great to do all the things, but sustained applied learning was my game changer. I found a lot in my process, believe me. But when I distilled it down, I discovered that it all came down to six habits that we're all guilty of to varying degrees that ruin our chances for joy and the six opposing and joy-creating habits that actually work and change us for real. I built myself a 90-day program around these six habits. So of course I did the 90-day program that I built, of course. I leaned in to each of the six habits and fully did the work on myself. I asked some friends to do it with me. Of course, explaining the program led me to creating a book and a helpful course to go with it, except I didn't set out to create those things. They just happened because they were needed. So we all did the program together and I got to expose all the weak parts and make all the tweaks necessary to turn it into a powerhouse that changed my life for good, finally. So here we are, more than a year after that thing inside me broke. What's happening now? Well, I retired. I'm getting along great with my husband. I'm head over heels in love. I've tapped into my spiritual side. I freaking moved to Maui, that's amazing. And I'm living in service to others, which is beyond joyful. You guys, I actually found joy. Joy was within me all along, hiding in the cracks between my habits. Once I did the work on my habits, joy was unavoidable. I also discovered that Joy has some friends that wanted to come to the Laura party too, namely courage, clarity, adventure, 
commitment, and a real, deep, unshaking love for self. Finding the magic recipe for joy has been a game changer for me in all ways. I can't sit still, and this whole retirement thing, picture me with air quotes, looks an awful lot like a new career, except I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my whole life. I get to coach people that want to find joy in their lives. I get to share what I discovered, and my life now has a major theme, joy and love. I know it sounds hokey, I know, but damn it, joy will do that to you. I've never been happier, and I'm working on so many things. I'm excited to build all kinds of great stuff and spread the truth and accessibility of joy. It's so much easier than we've been led to believe. It's not hiding where all the marketers of the world want you to believe. It's not in the latest and greatest magic goo, the latest product, or the new car. It's not even in your spouse or your children. Guys, it's within you already, hiding in the cracks between your habits. It was within me the whole time, hiding in the cracks between my habits. I say this all the time. When you change your relationship with yourself, you change your relationship with your whole world. I say it all the time because it's true. Your relationship with yourself begins and ends with what you do, think, and say every single day. This is true for me, and this is true for you. So I update my dreams all the time because I routinely make them happen. Maui was a dream, now it's life. Retirement was a dream, now it's life. I'm smiling so big right now. Joy was my biggest dream of my whole life, and now it is my life. Ah, this is amazing. The new dream, honestly, that's easy. I dream of being on the TED stage sharing my message of joy and love with millions. I want to serve others with love and light and show everyone how easy it is and where joy truly lives. I am so grateful for this opportunity to share my story and for you for listening. I definitely learned something along the way by sharing it with you, and it's this. I'm a joy junkie. Yup, it's a thing and I'm it. I actually had to rein myself in a little bit here because I legit could go on and on for hours about joy and how to find it. Ah, I had to keep it short, but this has been absolutely extraordinary to share this with you. I'm so grateful for you listening, and thank you so much for letting me share this with you. Joy Junkie, out. This is Seek the Joy Podcast, the power of storytelling. Join us, share your story. For more information and to get involved, visit seekthejoypodcast.com. This series airs the third week of every month. And make sure to join us for Seek the Joy Tuesday. Until then, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for being here. And thank you for listening.